today we start a new series, New Year, New Term, uh, new series, and our series is called Are You Alive? As you can see up there, and uh, we'll be looking at that over uh, each week in January. And this series is um, kind of takes its inspiration from not so much actually theology in the first place, but biology. And any of you that will have studied biology, perhaps uh, up to GCSE, will know that there are seven uh, kind of like recognised signs of life. Now some of you here are part of the uh, leadership team, you're involved in leading a cell or leading some area of life within G2. And a couple of months ago, uh, Mark Powley from uh, St George's Leeds came and spent an evening with us. And he spent an evening talking us through some of the work he's done uh, in theology, in looking at these seven signs of life and applying them to being alive in God uh, and drawing, from, drawing them on them from the words uh, of Jesus. And it was a great evening that we had, so we've totally nicked his notes and booklets, uh, paid him five quid, got the whole lot, and we thought, we'll do that for everyone at G2. What? Let's share the joy, let's, let's all experience that. So we'll be looking at just four of those, because we've just got four sessions to look at it, four of those over the next few weeks. And today I want to focus on the sign of life, purity, living pure. Okay, I want to get you to talk at your table. So uh, let's have a question up on the screen. And I want you to chat. You've just got like two minutes to chat to the person next to you. And the question is, when do you most feel alive? Is it, do you need that morning cup of coffee before you feel alive? Or maybe you're a night owl and that's when you come to life. Or are you kind of, do you suffer the week because you're waiting for the weekend and then you come alive and life comes to you? Or maybe you've got the thing you do that makes you feel alive. You like to dance or read or, or run or play the guitar, whatever it might be. Okay, you've got two minutes to tell the person that you're sitting next to, when do you most feel alive? Off you go. Good discussions. You probably know a lot more about the person you're sitting next to. Now, I've just learned a great deal about Josh. I'll, I'll, I'll enact the thing he said that will make him feel more alive uh, through this year at G2. So, okay, let's test some of the biblical knowledge and biological knowledge that you have. Who knows, who learned at school the thing you remember to remember the seven signs of life in biology. Think back. Okay, let's shout it out. Mrs. Mrs. Gred, my word. Biology knowledge in G2 is strong. That's excellent. So Mrs. Gred is like the, the acronym that you remember to remember the seven signs of life. Okay, I'm going to take that off the screen because my quiz for you now is today we're talking about the E, okay? The E in Mrs. Gren. So, can anyone tell me what the E stands for? A bit louder. Excretion. Fantastic. Welcome to church on the first Sunday in the new year. We are talking about going to the toilet. Wow. Now, probably many of you will know there is a definitive text on this subject. It was written in Japan and it's been translated into many languages and uh, I'm sure many of you will have read this. Um, the Japanese love their toilets and so that I'm, I'm told there are many books on this subject for Japanese children. 
Um, but this is one I read years ago, and can I just tell you, it's a cracking read. Um, some of you, I know, will know the plot, but there's a child, I can't remember his name, um, and he's discovering all about this natural aspect of life that, you know, is, is, he's being informed about, and he has a fantastic journey meeting all sorts of animals and discovers this interesting fact that they all have in common, summed up by the title, Everybody Boops. Wow. Um, I can't remember if I read it in this book, but fascinating fact. Who knows a fascinating fact relevant to this discussion about an owl? Anyone know the fact? Okay. That's Luke Smith. Who the man? Owls cannot poo, so in order to get rid of the waste that they don't need, they have to cough it up. So my hot tip to you is never kiss an owl. No matter how cute it actually looks. It's shocking, isn't it? So this time of year in our society, the transition from Christmas and then we're into the new year, we get bombarded with this idea of having uh, a reformed life, a new and a better life. My um, spam inbox has been extra full of all sorts of stuff that the internet feels I need in my life. I had a quick look to see what some of them are. Apparently, I need to join some very expensive gyms to get rid of the belly, like Josh, or whatever that might be. Um, turns out my liver needs detoxifying. Must have eaten too many mince pies. I need to give up smoking. Done it. Okay, not sure about that. I need to run a marathon. I've already done that one, so you know, Facebook doesn't know enough about me. Um, apparently, I need to sue the person that caused me to have that accident, and there's a lovely legal firm out there that deeply cares about me and the compensation that I need to re uh, receive. I need to get out of debt, etc. We are caught up in this, this moment in our calendar when we think about self-change. And actually, our society and, and television and the media and the internet and many other things is, is geared up, in a sense, to enable that. All, all over, wherever you go, you'll see the posters about the gyms that you need to join or the schemes that you need to sign up to. The question in front of us today is about being alive in God. How are we going to, in 2014, live pure? How do we put the idea of spiritual investment and spiritual improvement of our lives forefront in front of our minds in terms of the goals that we might have. I'm not going to ask you to say, but it'd be interesting as you thought about New Year's resolutions, were they all kind of located in a certain area? Were they to do with fitness or things like that? Were, were any of them to do with the sense of your relationship with God? I don't want any of you to say, but just that's a question for us to ponder do we kind of partition that notion into certain areas of life? Because that's what society tells us we should think about. Have we taken stock of what our spiritual goals are and how we improve our personal relationship with God? Let me put a couple of Bible verses up on the screen. The first is 1 John 1.8. I'll read it out so we can all hear it. Here's what it says. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And another one from James. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so today I want to focus on just one aspect of that idea of living a pure life. And the aspect I want to focus on is confession. Now let me just acknowledge, there's a whole load more we could unpack in terms of getting the full picture about what does it mean to live a pure life. I thought of a little example. Imagine over Christmas, someone's made a fantastic chocolate cake, and it's in the fridge, ready for the occasion and when it's going to be eaten, and then the cake is disappeared. And the evidence is, somebody sinned. Somebody's eaten the cake. So you do the obvious thing, you get that lie detector that you've got in your Christmas cracker, you plug it into your computer, and you systematically work through the family. And little Jimmy cracks, okay, and it turns out it was him. He ate the chocolate cake. So in the face of overwhelming evidence, little Jimmy says, he confesses, I did it, I ate the chocolate cake. Now that's a good thing. Well done, Jimmy, we're proud of you. It's good that you didn't deny it, it's good that you confessed it, it's good that you told other people about it. But that's not necessarily the full picture, as any parent may know. For example, is he actually sorry? Maybe he's told you he's ate the chocolate cake and he's got a big smile on his face. I ate the chocolate cake, I wanted to eat the chocolate cake, I enjoyed eating the chocolate cake. If there's another cake tomorrow, I'm going to eat that one. (laughs) He's confessed to it, but he's not necessarily sorry. He's not offering any suggestion that, you know, on reflection, he shouldn't have done it. There's no evidence of repentance. His thoughts have not turned to the, you know, the person that made the cake, who he has harmed and wounded. You know, I'm going to apologise to that person for the harm that I've done them. He's not looking in his pocket money jar to think, I'm going to get another cake and make restitution uh, for it. He's not working out a plan of action whereby he can help himself to not take the next cake that's set before him. He's not worked out what's missing in his life, like, you know, if I ate breakfast, then I wouldn't give in to the overwhelming power of chocolate cake. He's not considered how the cake felt, you know, did it want to be eaten by him? You get the picture. There's a lot to talk about when we talk about living a pure life. Confession is just one part of it, but I want to suggest to us that it's a bit of a lost art, and I want to reintroduce us to it. And if it's not something that's part of your life, I want to encourage you today to make it part of your life. Okay, we're going to chat again at our tables, again just for two minutes. And the question I want you to ask is this. Have you, or when did you last, confess a sin to somebody? I'm not asking you to say what it was, okay? Just just to say when. And if that's too awkward, just make something up, okay? (laughs) Or maybe not, because that might be lying. We'll go with it anyway. Okay, so you've got, you got like another minute to chat to somebody. When did you last, or have you ever? Go. Good discussion. Let's, let's continue. So this idea of Confession, of course, finds its uh, root in the Bible. Those two readings that we looked at both name the idea of of a person 
confessing sins and faults to another person. It's also in the Old Testament, it was part of their um, religious practice. So in that sense, it, it's, it's an ancient thing. It's not just 2,000 years old, it, it's many, many thousands of years old. And also, it's not just confined to Christianity. It, it, it's something that crops up through history. You can see in all sorts of different societies and cultures and communities. The idea that um, people will find a better way forward through engaging with, in a sense, uh, this discipline or practice of confessing their sins. One of the things that enabled it, that, that caused it to develop in the Christian church was something called the, the Desert Fathers. And these were people, maybe in the um, second and third uh, century, who um, retreated from their culture in order to have a greater walk with God. And they would uh, spend a lot of time in contemplation and prayer and reading and study and thinking. And people would often go to these desert fathers who, uh, some of them literally lived in the desert, so you would go and find this person in a, in a desert or maybe a cave or something. People, would, people also wanting to experience the purer life would go to the desert fathers to talk about their life and their relationship with God. And the desert fathers would have conversations with people about their sins. They would confess their sins to these people as a, as a way of um, drawing nearer to God, to have a closer walk um, with God. Um, I had an experience a few years ago um, when I was training about four years ago. I was just getting to the end of, of my um, training to be ordained as a priest. And one of the things they offer you the day before you get ordained, is to have a formal confession of sin while you're away. You go away for a retreat um, beforehand, and then on the last day, the day before you get ordained, there's like an opportunity to have a confession of sin as you enter into this new vocation. So I thought, yeah, I'll go for that, you know, for most things. So put my name down to confess my sins. They allocated me 30 minutes which I thought was a lot. Actually, I ran over quite a bit. Um, so it turns out they had more perception of my need than I did. And uh, here's how it works. Um, they set up a room, and you can kind of imagine there was like two booths. So I, I knew the person I was going to see, but I didn't eyeball them. Uh, they were already there, like waiting. And I went in and sat down. And there's a little form of words that we use just as a roadmap of um, confessing. My sins, and it was. It, by the way, it's called the sacrament of holy confession. Um, so uh, the first thing I had to say is I had to say to the priest behind behind the curtain, uh, "Bless me, Father, I have sinned. It's been, and I can't remember how long it was, but it's been this long since my last confession." And then he said something to me, and then it was it was over to me to speak. I'd done a, I'd done a bit of prep, uh, and I'd written a few things down on the back of an envelope, you know, just to get just to get me going. And uh, so I started off small you know, tested waters, and then worked up to some of the bigger stuff. And uh, it was great. It was also a really hard thing to do. This guy had obviously been really well trained. He, he had a couple of, couple of weapons that he let loose on me. The first was silence. <laughs> silence was an absolute killer. Like, normally it's rude when you chat with somebody to, to not hold up your end of the conversation, but he used this powerfully. There were times when he just sat there absolutely silent, and it was like, over to me to say something. And I'm just, like, I've got to figure out what am I going to say next. The other, the other tool he used on me, I mean, these are not big tools, but they had a big effect, was 
he got to ask me questions. Now, I thought this would be like a one-way thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'd email in my sins. He'd, like, send me a read receipt or something and then reply back and say, ka-ching, there you go, you're forgiven, move on. Um, he had an actual conversation with me. I mentioned things and he would say, can you give me an example of that? Oh, it's like the pressure's coming on. All, all the, I, I, I mean, I'm not gonna t- obviously, I'm not going to tell you any of the things. <laughs> Don't even ask me, Elliot. But, uh, and then there were some things where he said, could you be more specific? In fact, I remember one time he said to me, could you be a bit more specific still? Like, he really honed in on the things that I had to say. And unsurprisingly, that's why it took more than 30 minutes. The poor guy that followed me would have had to confess extra fast. That's one of my experiences, a really good experience, actually, of confessing my sins. Years ago, when I was at university, I had a friend who was a member of a black majority church. And I remember once she was telling me um, that one of the things they do in their church every Sunday is they have confession of sins. And I was going to an Anglican church at the time, so I said, oh, yeah, 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 we do that as well. And she asked me how ours worked, and I said, well, you know, we all just say these words. There's, like, dead silence, nobody speaks, and then we're all forgiven. Uh, and she was like, okay, this is how we do it. Everybody comes to the mic and confesses their sins to everybody. I was like, wow. In fact, I remember in the same conversation, she said to me, do you want to come to my church? And I was like, no, no you're okay, you're fine. Honestly, uh, God bless. I'm sure it's a lovely church. Uh, I'm not drawn to it. Um, this was a church that had really taken those scriptures to heart, and they were, com- they were engaged with confessing their sins. Some of, you, some of you will know about the life and ministry of John Wesley in raising up younger leaders. And one of the things he had, specifically for younger emerging leaders, were called bands and select bands. And that, there was a formula for how these guys met. They met once a week, and there was a formula for their meeting. And one of the first things they had to do was confess their sins to one another. I think it went something like this. Um, Since our last time of meeting, what temptations have you felt and how, if you have, have you overcome them? And then it said in the notes underneath, uh, each person to speak in turn, then the others of the group to ask such questions as necessary to bring clarity to the situation. Can you imagine being there? Like, you know, you're, Sam, Sam gets invited to speak first, and Sam says, uh, just been swearing a bit. Okay, thanks, Sam, for sharing. Uh, anyone got any questions for Sam? Somebody puts their hand up. Could you just be more specific? Like, exactly which words have you been saying? Who have you said them to? Like, how many times have you said it? Maybe Larry goes next, and Larry says, um, I've had temptation with lust. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for sharing. Anyone got any questions for Larry? Uh, yeah, Larry, that was a bit vague. When you say temptation, like, was that like something that didn't happen? Like, just kind of like, it was a temptation, or, or did something happen? Like, what day did this happen? What days did it happen on? Uh, could we have the names of the people involved? In, Etc. I'm sure you can imagine the situation. But the testimony of these groups is... John Wesley used groups that focused on this idea of living a pure life through confessing your sins to another group of people. It raised up a whole generation of preachers and leaders and reformers. So what is confession? 
Well, I think confession is this. Confession is telling another person about something that you have thought, said, done, or not done that doesn't please God. And the key part of it is, I think the critical part of it is, it involves you speaking to another person. That's not to negate or in any way to undermine the suggestion that we can speak to God about things that we want to confess and ask for his forgiveness. I take that as true. But there is a spiritual discipline that has huge benefit for godly life in actually opening our mouths and naming that with detail to another person that we choose to speak to. My question to you is this. Have you got this in your life? Do you have a route or an opportunity? Do you have a practice whereby, in some shape or form, you live this out? I'm not suggesting, like the example I gave, you, you go into a booth and you do it that way, though I think that has huge validity. I think there are lots of ways we can live this out. But the question is, are you living it out in some shape or form? Let me give you a few reasons why I think you should do this. Reason number one. I think it causes us to consider specific and actual sins in our life. Like the example I gave already of my friend in the Black Majority Church, it's, it's really easy to be general and thereby vague about this stuff. Like we all know that in order to begin following Jesus, there's, a, there's almost an acknowledgement that I have sinned and I need to be forgiven. And perhaps there's real clarity in that moment. But the thing is, that clarity can fade and it can kind of become a thing that's just kind of like a, a haze, a vague thing, like, yeah, I'm not perfect, but we never delve more deeply into that. I think that if we have a lack of specificness about it, then in a sense what we end up doing is we end up minimising it. We end up treating it without the significance that it needs. Um, I think, I mean, the example to me that kind of reinforces this, I'm not having a go at songs of praise, but whenever I watch songs of praise, and I don't watch it that much, it almost seems to me like the, the guy they get on to do the sinner slot, you know, the one that talks about, I was a sinner and now I've been forgiven, is almost like someone so extreme, like the murderer that went to prison and then, you know, something else and whatever. And then, and then you meet normally someone else who's lovely, who's, who's been fine fulfillment through doing flowers or something like that. And I almost think like, can't we have that lovely lady doing the flowers? Couldn't she confess that she's a sinner that recognised she needs forgiveness from God? Wouldn't that be a truer and more honest portrayal about the human condition? Rather than leaving us with this vague suggestion that this is an idea that really applies to somebody else. No, it actually applies to me. And if we don't if, we don't, if we're not specific about it, then in a sense we're going to let it build up. And uh, as the illustration we've already given, you know, about going to the toilet, you don't want to let it build up, do you? Like, you know, it's not going to work out good. <laughs> specific. Number two, I think it causes us to seek out trustworthy people in our lives. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let me say that again. Faithful the wounds of a friend. I did not, in a sense, enjoy my experience of confessing my sins, but it was of huge benefit. 
It's a bit like going for a run. When I go, you know, normally when I go for a run, I don't want to go for a run at the beginning because it's warm and I don't want to get cold and it's raining and whatever. But put your shoes on and off you go. And when you're going for your run, it, it hurts, you know, and I'd rather be watching telly and whatever. But at the end of it, after you've completed the exercise, you look back and go, I'm so glad that I did that. The act of confessing our sins causes us to engage with people that we want to give a trustworthy role in our lives. And it helps us to seek them out. And we can, through that, get the benefit of this discipline of confessing our sins. And of course it's implicit with the idea that we are church and family and community together. So of course we have an experience of God that we can say is individual, but part of our experiencing God is through the lives of other people. And this is one of the ways in which we might do it. In fact, I told you that the thing I did was called the sacrament of confession. And sacrament is just a posh way of saying God shows up. So when I, an ordinary human being, speak to somebody else, an ordinary human being, and I confess my sins to them in the name of Jesus, then actually God shows up. It's a holy thing. It's not just a practical thing. Though I can think of all sorts of practical and, 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 and mental and you know, logistical reasons why it might be beneficial. But one of the reasons it's beneficial is God shows up in that experience. God is involved in that in a way that's for my benefit. The third reason is this. It brings healing. In the verse that we read, it said, confess your sins to one another, dot, 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 that you might be healed. Um, On Friday, I was uh, driving the car into work, and I happened to listen to an interview with uh, Maureen Greaves. And uh, you may not remember from this year, but exactly a year ago, last Christmas, 2012, she was the lady whose husband was murdered on his way to church. The story was tragic. He He was a retired man, He was going to play the organ for midnight mass. He was walking to the church and he he was like one street corner away from the church and two youths set upon him with a pickaxe and battered him to death. In fact, he died two days later. You you can just imagine the the pain and shock and, you know, where is he in his late and then the news comes. You 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 can just imagine how horrible that was for, for all sorts of people. And this interview with, this, uh, with his widow, Maureen, uh, a year on, was absolutely amazing. She spoke powerfully about how she recognised that on, on the day when she saw her husband die, two days later, she needed to um, forgive the people who were involved, who I don't think had been arrested at that point, but she needed to extend forgiveness to them and... Um, that she needed to tell others that she had done that so that she could walk it out in her life. Now, in that sense, she wasn't confessing her own sin. But this interview with her was amazing because she was explaining to the interviewer, um, I get that these guys killed my husband and that's really bad, but she said, I believe I've done really bad things as well. And my husband who died, he'd done really bad things as well. And we all recognise that actually... In a sense, there's in some ways no difference between the two. We all need to come to God to get our healing from him. 
and she spoke about how that her act of forgiving was not like letting them off. She still wanted them to be caught. She still wanted them to have a just punishment. But she believed in doing that. In a sense, she was handing them into God's dealings that he might have dealings with her life. And she told in the interview about some of the interactions she's had with them, a few letters that have gone backwards and forwards, etc. Third reason is that, that confessing our sins to one another brings healing. The reason this is important is actually the issue of purity is incredibly important. All those emails in my inbox are telling me how important it is that I'm healthy, that I'm eating the right things, that I'm looking after myself. And actually, as well as that, we all need to be aware that actually dealing with purity in our lives is incredibly important. Here's some of the words of Jesus as he speaks about dealing with sin. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for one part of your body, uh, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And he speaks with this kind of hyperbole, this deliberate exaggeration to get across the fact that it's so important that we engage with that. And confession is part of our walk in doing that. Let me finish with this. Five top tips about how you do this. And my hope today is actually that you figure out how you incorporate this into your life. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That doesn't work. But I want to encourage you to think, how are you going to get the benefit of this idea of confessing sins to another person into your life? Five top tips. Number one, find someone. I think you should choose. Like, don't, no, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you, okay, go and speak to that person. That, like, that, that wouldn't work, would it? It couldn't work. Uh, you should choose. Find someone. And these things kind of work best, actually, if, you, if, if it's mutual. Like, uh, rather than, you know, one person will always be the one that tells the other person. Actually, if it's mutual, if you both look after each other in that way, then it, it kind of is a, a mutual help. It, it has a healthy dynamic. Of course, there might be occasions when you, you feel like, actually, I need to go and speak to somebody about a specific thing. It's maybe like more of a one-off thing. But I think if you want this in your life regularly, then you need to find a confession buddy. You need to find the person that you're going to talk to. Or maybe it's a small group of you, or however that works best. And this, I think, works best face-to-face. But do you know what? I've, I've got a friend who, um, uh, the deal is, every week I email him and ask him, a specific question about an issue of purity that he is working on right now. And then if he sends me back a vague reply, I say, could you be more specific? <laughs> what day are we talking about? Uh, so it can work that way. You know, if, if, you, uh, if you joined up with Alcoholics Anonymous, then part of their deal is you have a sponsor. And the sponsor is somebody that you maybe reach out to when you feel tempted and so it doesn't have to necessarily be after the effect. It could be, do you know what? I think I'm really struggling with such and such. Text a friend. Please pray for me. Please hold me accountable. Can you check up with me uh, on this? Uh, number two, top tip, be specific. I think the more specific you can be, the more benefit you get. Uh, I think general confession, brilliant. It's a great thing to do. 
but specific confession in the right setting where you've worked out the right setting for you, I think, is the way to go in terms of um, it being really beneficial to you. The third thing is, obviously, we need to respect confidentiality. And that's probably the conversation to have at the beginning. Are we okay to, in a sense, respect the confidentiality of what we say? What I say to somebody, if I meet up with someone and I know this kind of conversation is going to happen, I'll say, do you know what, I'm really okay just to keep this between us. Unless you tell me about something that I think is going to have future damage on someone else. Like, if you confess to me, I'm about to go and murder someone, I'll probably need to stop you. Or call the police or something. You know, tie you up and tell the tape. Um, but, you know, if you tell me that you did something, whatever, I might, I might suggest to you, you know, you, maybe you should tell. Or maybe you should act. But, in a sense, I want to leave that to that person. And I, and I need to be clear that I'm not... None of our interaction... Uh, fuels any value of gossip. This is, you know, this is just a friend helping another friend. The fourth thing is this. I think we should do penance. You've probably heard of penance, and I reckon you've heard about it in a bad light. Whenever I see the idea of penance portrayed in the media or in a film or a TV series, it almost seems like it's portrayed as a kind of letting people off things that they've done wrong. Here's the scenario... Uh, somebody goes to confession, bless me Father, for I have sinned, I've just killed three people. The priest says, oh my word, well, you're forgiven. Uh, say three Hail Marys to our fathers and make sure you come to church on Sunday. And that, it, it kind of gets portrayed in that way and it's incredibly unhelpful. I think the true idea of penance is this. We recognise that we don't buy forgiveness. God alone has the currency to forgive. So we, we can't like, give God a damn pay, payment or a help or you know, earn off a bit of credit. N- none of that works. It, it, not, going down that route does not help us. Only God forgives. So we just have to come to God and ask for forgiveness. But in terms of getting the benefit of a changed life in our life, sometimes there are practical things that it might be really helpful for us to go and do in order to think, okay, that that situation has happened, but in terms of moving forward in the future, what might I do to help myself in that area? And if I'm talking to somebody, I usually just ask them, what do you think you could do that might help you to move forward in this area? Let me give you an example. Um, uh, In around 1977, there was kind of like a little mini-revival in some um, theological colleges in North America, and one of them was in uh, a college called Wheaton, and Wheaton, as I understand it, is kind of a a Christian college, but then it became more open to other um, subjects, so it wasn't like necessarily like people training to be church leaders, it was a a mixture of people who might have been in that position, Um, but the thing was, because of its heritage, everyone had to go to chapel every day. Okay, so they had a chapel service every day. And the, and the revival that happened in, in this college was this, that um, when they got to the point of confessing sins, it was as if God moved in the room and people felt to confess specific sins publicly. And so people were like just spontaneously queuing up and started confessing their sins publicly to others. And it spread to quite a lot of other colleges. Students went from one college to another and it kind of spread with them. And I read one story that I thought was absolutely amazing. A girl came to see the dean of the college after the chapel service and she said, I I couldn't come up um, to talk when others did, but I just want to confess to you um, that I'm a liar. 
and I lie about everything to everyone. It's just like part of who I am, and uh, I know it's wrong, and I need to be forgiven. And so he talked to her about forgiveness, and then before she went, he said, do you know what? How are you going to change this? How are you going to see change in your life? So she said, oh, I'd, love to, I'd love to see my life changed in this area. What do I do? So the dean said to her, here's what you do. Penance, okay? Here's what you do. You go to the last person that you lie to and you confess your sin to them. And she said to him, I think that would kill me. And he said to her, I think that will cure you. And then the report I read said, like two days later or something, she came up to the dean, she said, I went to the, the last person, and then I went to the last one, I'm on number 15, or whatever it was, number 18, she said, and I'm free, I'm free. Like, she went through this, this act of confessing her sins, and it brought healing. And that's the idea of penance, that maybe we, we, we take away something that we can put in practice that helps us to change for the future. And the last top tip is this, number five, that we pray for each other. This is not, in no way kind of like um, um, exacting a punishment or a kind of a negative thing. Actually, our heart is to help one another. And so our heart response to somebody saying, I'm struggling with such and such in my life, is actually, can I pray for you? Because it's God that will bring the change. So your homework. Find yourself a confessor. Find yourself a small group where you can do this. Find yourself a person of your choosing that you want to chat to. Uh, if that's too hard, get someone an email. Get someone on text message. Uh, figure out how you can get this amazing idea at work in your life that we can all live pure life.